Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You are listening to As a Woman, episode 118, Luteal Phase Deficiency. Welcome to As a Woman, the podcast hosted by fertility physician, Dr. Natalie Crawford, to educate and empower women. Each week, learn about your health, your fertility, and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community, fostering collaboration over competition while learning how to authentically find your voice and amplify others as a woman. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited to talk about this topic today because I'm an REI, and half of my fellowship was clinical and half was research, and my research was all on the luteal phase. So I worked in fellowship on a big cohort study called Time to Conceive, and this is one of the largest NIH-funded studies on natural fertility. So it was looking at people who were 30 and older who were trying to get pregnant and purely observing their cycles. They did cycle tracking, they did ovulation predictor kits, they monitored for bleeding, told us when they had intercourse, and we evaluated when they got pregnant. So there was no other intervention except collecting blood and data and watching their cycle pattern. This culminated in multiple presentations and two big papers for me in fertility and sterility, and it was my thesis, which meant that when I got board certified as an REI, I had to sit in front of two examiners and talk about the statistical methods and what we did in the study and defend our results. So I'm highly invested in this topic, and it's actually controversial in our field if you're not aware of that. So this is a meaty topic, and I'm going to try to hit the high points. First of all, in order to understand luteal phase deficiency, you have to understand the luteal phase and you have to understand the menstrual cycle. So a very, very quick overview of the menstrual cycle really fast. We will use my favorite analogy. Imagine that there is a vault inside your ovary where all of your eggs are kept. At the start of a month, a group of eggs comes out of the vault. Each egg grows inside a follicle. The brain sends out FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone, which will allow one of these follicles to grow. As the follicle grows, the egg matures and makes estrogen, which makes us feel good and happy, and grows the lining of the uterus. When you have enough estrogen level reflecting a mature egg, the brain will then send out an LH surge. That's what you detect on ovulation predictor kit, and that will result in ovulation or the follicle to rupture and the egg to be released. However, after the egg is released, the follicle still has an important job. It heals back up and becomes the corpus luteum. The corpus luteum is a normal cyst in the luteal phase or the second half of the cycle that makes progesterone, and it's stimulated by LH, luteinizing hormone from the brain, in pulses throughout the entire luteal phase. The corpus luteum can only live on LH stimulation for about two weeks or 14 days, after which it dies, progesterone levels drop, and you get a period. However, it can be rescued by HCG, which is the pregnancy hormone that you detect in a pregnancy test. So when you get pregnant, 
and that pregnancy starts making HCG, that rescues the corpus luteum, which also means it stimulates it to make more constant levels of progesterone, and the corpus luteum does not die until the placenta takes over progesterone production around nine weeks of pregnancy. So when we talk about the menstrual cycle, we tend to talk about the different phases. So you have the follicular phase, which is the first part of the cycle, the time it takes a follicle to grow, and this phase varies in most people. And then you have the luteal phase, which is the time period after ovulation until your next period starts. And this should be around 12 to 14 days if everything's functioning normal. That's how long the corpus luteum should live without HCG rescuing it. If you have a short luteal phase or a luteal phase deficiency, this essentially means that the corpus luteum does not live long enough. And so what that means for us is that if you track your cycle and know when you actually ovulate and you count the length of that luteal phase, for some reason, the corpus luteum is not functioning well. And that's the entire hypothesis of a luteal phase deficiency. And I'm going to go into how we diagnose it, the controversy that exists, possible treatment, and really the key takeaway is that this is a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning we really need to make sure there's no pathological cause or other hormone issue causing you to have a luteal phase deficiency because that can happen and is probably something that is underdiagnosed immensely because a lot of people are dismissed when they talk about their periods and their period tracking. And it's something that I think is really important, especially in your early stages of conceiving when we want to optimize your efficiency of getting pregnant. So we know the luteal phase is essential for conception, meaning if we go and take out the corpus luteum in a normal conception before that placenta has fully grown in, the pregnancy will miscarry 100% of the time. And so OBGYNs know this, and if you ever have to get your corpus luteum taken out, sometimes happens for ovarian torsion or a variety of other reasons you would get put on supplemental progesterone. And that's why in some types of protocols for frozen embryo transfers, where you don't have a corpus luteum, we have to give you progesterone because progesterone is so essential. It opens and closes the implantation window, and it is the key for a pregnancy surviving. In fact, when you have a non-viable pregnancy, your HCG levels will not rise appropriately, and this will not stimulate enough progesterone production causing the corpus luteum to fail, and therefore you'll miscarry the pregnancy. What we are worried about with a luteal phase deficiency is that hypothetically, if you're not making a good enough corpus luteum, is it not making enough progesterone? And does that change your ability to implant a pregnancy? Could that cause infertility? Could that cause pregnancy loss of normal pregnancies? And that's why there's been a lot of attention and studies done although this is truly a hard thing to study. One of the rate-limiting factors in studying the luteal phase is it would be really awesome to go draw a mid-luteal progesterone level and say, oh, a level greater than 10 equals a normal luteal phase. But the truth is, that is not reliable. To remind you, the point of why doctors will sometimes check a mid-luteal progesterone level is purely to confirm that you ovulated when we think you did. Your progesterone in the luteal phase can be anywhere from 3 to 40 nanograms per milliliter, and that is because inside that corpus luteum, progesterone is being secreted and stimulated 
from pulses of LH from the brain, which can vary every 90 minutes. And so just to think about this, you can have an eight-fold change in 90 minutes. So the brain is secreting LH, the corpus luteum is responding. And so if I check your progesterone at one moment and then check it again an hour later, it could be totally different. So a single blood test in the luteal phase does not diagnose this. And so that makes diagnosing a luteal phase much harder. Also, interestingly, a long time ago when the luteal phase first became a trendy topic, one thing that was shown is there was an initial study that showed that if the endometrial response to progesterone is not sufficient, perhaps an endometrial biopsy could diagnose the disease. So think about this. If the problem is that the corpus luteum is not making enough progesterone, then the lining of the uterus won't look like it should at a certain time. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. 
In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And so historically, an endometrial biopsy was the gold standard for luteal phase deficiency. Now, this is a more invasive test where you put a catheter into the uterus and sample out some of the endometrial tissue. However, very good randomized controlled trials have shown that this is an imprecise measurement and it should not be recommended, meaning that it was off in 25% of cycles. There was cycle-to-cycle variability even in the same person, and these studies confirmed that endometrial biopsy to try to do histologic dating is not a clinical diagnostic tool and should not be used. And so this was used for a period of time, and now this is not recommended as part of the evaluation of the luteal phase because we don't want to do a test, especially an invasive test, that's not going to give you reliable results. So this has led us to defining a luteal phase deficiency as a clinical diagnosis, meaning menstrual cycle length and cycle tracking is the way to diagnose this. So understanding when you ovulate, you can use basal body temperature or urinary LH testing, which are OPKs, something that is adequately telling you when you ovulate, and then counting the luteal phase days. So day one, the day after ovulation, and the last day is the day before the next period starts. There are admittedly different ways to do this, and studies look at different numbers. Overall, it looks like most studies are using 10 or 11 days or shorter, meaning if your luteal phase is 12 days, you're fine. 11 is borderline, meaning may or may not be a problem. 10 is probably too short. And so one isolated luteal phase short cycle is not a big deal. So if you track your cycles and your cycle length shows you that your luteal phase is typically 13 or 14 days and you have one cycle that it's 10 or 11, that's okay. You're allowed to have a random month. And the study that we did showed an isolated short luteal phase cycle did not change your chance of infertility or your chance of getting pregnant over 12 months. However, the numbers were low, but if you had repeatedly short luteal phases, there did tend to be a decreased chance of getting pregnant, especially in the proximal months, so the months that immediately followed. So if your luteal phases are constantly 10 days, 11 days, 9 days, 10 days, that's something you want to get evaluated. So the big take-home is that diagnosing the luteal phase is a clinical diagnosis based on reliable cycle tracking. If your cycles are irregular, you're not probably having reliable cycle tracking. So this is in the setting of somebody who has regular cycles, however, has good cycle tracking, can check ovulation, and is consistently having a shortened luteal phase of less than 12 days, so 11 or less, however you want to cut it, that is where you start to have your interest peak that something could be going on. 
The two biggest hypotheses for why you might have a luteal phase defect are twofold, and they're really different. And this is important in understanding why people treat them differently. One is that a short luteal phase, so how we're defining a luteal phase deficiency, has been associated with low FSH levels in the follicular phase. And this is something that I've always thought makes a lot of sense. Meaning, if your brain is not stimulating a good enough follicle to grow, is it going to have the capability of functioning as a good corpus luteum? And then the second hypothesis is an inappropriate endometrial response. So that lining inside the uterus is not responding to progesterone in the right way. So the brain and the ovary are doing their job just fine, but for some reason the lining's not stable enough and starts to bleed earlier because it didn't respond or get as stable to progesterone. So those are the two big theories on why a luteal phase deficiency may exist outside of other things that can cause a luteal phase deficiency. So there are pathological conditions that can alter how your brain secretes hormones like FSH and LH. And so thinking through these are super important. And this is why just counting your luteal phase and saying, I have a luteal phase deficiency, I need extra progesterone, is not at all the right way to approach this. I'm about to go through a huge list of things that in studies have been associated with a luteal phase deficiency. Hypothalamic amenorrhea, eating disorders, excessive exercise, significant weight loss, stress, obesity, PCOS, endometriosis, getting older, undiagnosed or untreated 21-hydroxylase deficiency, which is congenital adrenal hyperplasia, thyroid abnormalities, prolactin abnormalities, specifically high prolactin levels, and breastfeeding, which we know breastfeeding is a state associated with high prolactin levels. These things can all change the secretion of FSH and LH from the brain, therefore could result in a luteal phase deficiency. The easiest ones to test are a thyroid and prolactin, easy blood draws, and should 100% be done if you're having a short luteal phase. Prolactin is fascinating. So prolactin is a hormone made from the pituitary gland. That's where FSH and LH come from. And a really great study showed that as prolactin levels rose, you saw specific changes in the menstrual cycle that reversed in the same pattern as prolactin dropped. So a mild abnormality had a short luteal phase. A moderate abnormality caused skipping cycles. And a very high level of prolactin caused amenorrhea or no periods. And as you treated it and prolactin started to go down, they went through the same pattern. So a luteal phase deficiency can certainly be related to abnormal prolactin secretion from the brain. Thyroid abnormalities work through the same mechanism because TSH is from the pituitary gland as well. TSH is thyroid-stimulating hormone, another well-named hormone that stimulates the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. And when thyroid hormone levels are off, it changes secretion of TSH from the pituitary gland. All of these other things also can cause abnormalities. So I have an issue on stress. So that's a huge one. PCOS, you often don't ovulate exactly right. We've talked about that in the PCOS issue. And so therefore, if you're not ovulating well, you're probably not going to make a great corpus luteum. Anything that interferes with the brain, so these eating disorders, intense exercise, or weight loss, and even obesity can blunt the signals from the brain. And then another good one to note is aging. 
Classically, we've been taught that as you get older and you have less eggs inside that vault of the ovary, that you're going to recruit an egg earlier and see a shortening of the follicular phase. However, in the same aspect, that may cause the follicle to not be as well functioned or abnormalities of those hormones from the brain may cause abnormalities in the luteal phase as well. So you certainly can see luteal phase abnormalities after aging. The first thing to do is to have a good history and see if any of these things can be modified. A high prolactin level may be able to be treated with a medication, a simple pill, and then your levels may get back and this may be cured. However, you can't reverse aging. If you have an eating disorder, it may take years of being in recovery to get the brain to send out normal hormones. Years. So to summarize, you should be able to track your cycles. If your luteal phase length is 11 days or less, you should have a thyroid and prolactin level drawn and then a good, good history to look through these other causes and see if any of them could be playing a role. If it's modifiable, that's something you should consider. If it's not, then it is what it is. And if there's nothing on that list that applies to you, yet you're constantly having short luteal phase cycles, that's where we're thinking that perhaps this is an ovulation disorder or an inappropriate endometrial response. So one of the biggest issues with luteal phase deficiency is because no study has clinically linked it really well with infertility or pregnancy loss, then a lot of people will say, why diagnose it? Why treat it? On the flip end, just because there's not been a quality study done doesn't mean that we ignore something that physiologically may be causing a problem. And this is why there's so much controversy about the definition, the diagnosis, and the significance of it. However, just because the right study hasn't been done doesn't mean that we don't always treat something. So it's just really important to understand that blindly treating something without a full evaluation is never the answer. Secondarily, we want to make sure that you understand the purpose of treatment. The two biggest treatment options, well, let's say the first treatment option is to always treat the underlying disease if there is one that can be treated, like thyroid or prolactin abnormalities, 21 hydroxylase, things like that. So getting a proper diagnosis is key number one. Could it be underlying PCOS? Could it be an issue with thyroid, prolactin? Could you have a low AMH or diminished ovarian reserve? Making sure you get a good evaluation and hormone panel, that's part of it. If you have short luteal phase and everything else is normal, this is where it's going to depend on your physician and their comfort level, perhaps how they were trained or how they believe that the body works. To me and how I was trained is that luteal phase deficiency after you've ruled out other causes is probably on the spectrum of an ovulation disorder. Those prolactin-based studies just make it make sense that if the follicle's not a good follicle, how are we expecting it to be a good corpus luteum? And so the two biggest treatment options, one is ovulation induction, so stimulating a better follicle to grow. This can be done with Clomid or Letrozole, both medications that work to tell the brain to send out a stronger signal of FSH. This FSH signal should then allow a better follicle to grow, therefore a better corpus luteum to be formed. Other studies have evaluated just progesterone supplementation in the luteal phase, and certainly this has been proposed for some people with recurrent pregnancy loss under the same idea that maybe the corpus luteum isn't functioning, that exogenous progesterone could give some support. I tend to do both. Other people might do just one or the other. 
I think exogenous progesterone is easy enough to use. However, if I really believe the problem's an ovulation disorder, I want to make sure that that's what I'm treating. Neither approach is proven better than the other, and that's the big take-home. Some people will do nothing. Some people will do both. Some would do one or the other. None of them have been associated with a significant improvement in the data that we have. Like all things in medicine, especially in this field, we sometimes have to make the best decisions we can with the data that we have. And sometimes the data is not perfect. And so we have to understand where you are, your goals in reproduction, and how alluvial phase deficiency may play into the picture. I will tell you this, if you have a low AMH or if you're older, Messing with ovulation induction may not be the best treatment option for you, especially if you want more than one child. You may need to accelerate to something more advanced like IVF to get to that pregnancy faster. So my take-home message is this. What is your goal and what is your body doing? It is essential for you to understand both. So if you want to get pregnant, I 100% am in the mentality, of course, I'm a data person, so you guys know this, of tracking your cycles because you don't know what you don't know. And even though that takes away some of the fun of let's just try to get pregnant and have a lot of sex and see what happens, if you are having abnormalities, I think you deserve to know them. So I like tracking cycles with ovulation predictor kits, which are overall a really easy way to do it. Basal body temperature works also, but it's a little more complex, although new tech has made the thermometers so much better. But for ovulation predictor kits, the keys to know, usually you should start tracking a few days before you think you're going to ovulate. So the low-hanging fruit is tracking your cycles in an app. Easy peasy, do that. The app will use the mathematical calculation of your luteal phase being 14 days to tell you when your most fertile day is, the day they think you're going to ovulate. And then it will backdate it with the five days before that, saying that this is your fertile window because we know sperm can live in the reproductive system up to five days. So that's how that calendar tracking in the app, pure math. Now, if you're going to start taking ovulation predictor tests, you could start at the beginning of that fertile window and you would use one test a day. The best time for the test is actually between 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. And that's because LH, the surge is released from the brain in the early morning hours, and you are testing your urine, and this is a hormone in the blood. So you want to make sure that has enough time to get through your kidneys and into your urine when you're peeing on the stick. So LH is released in a big surge to cause ovulation and then impulses throughout the rest of the luteal phase. Therefore, once you get the positive, stop testing. You may get positives on and off throughout the whole luteal phase. That's normal. So once you get the surge, stop testing. The surge is typically defined as the day before you're ovulating. So if you got your positive surge today, you would ovulate tomorrow. And the next day would be the first day of your luteal phase if you're counting. So understanding what your cycle pattern is actually doing, I think is going to be really helpful for you to understand, could there be an underlying issue that we would then want to get checked out with your OBGYN or a fertility doctor? And again, treatment may or may not be right for you. It may be ovulation induction, progesterone, both, IVF, depending on your age, what's underlying, and what your goals are. But at a minimum, if your luteal phase is not normal, 
you should get an evaluation because there are pathological conditions that can cause abnormalities in the luteal phase and the menstrual cycle is a vital sign. It is telling us how your hormones are functioning and we need to listen to it. All right. Thanks, friends, so much for listening. As always, I appreciate your love on this podcast so, so much. I am going to be putting some question boxes up in Instagram over the next few days because I'm going to do a few episodes from crowdsourcing your questions. So if you don't follow me, go to Natalie Crawford MD on Instagram so you can put your questions in. Also over on YouTube, if you haven't ventured over there, I have shorter form videos. They are videos with some visuals talking about fertility topics only. And I do have some Q&A series. So you can ask your questions and I will answer them because I think it's really important that you have the information you need to understand your body the best. Thanks, friends.